Need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hello, welcome to 1874. It's time for a match preview as Villa take on West Ham on Sunday 4.30 at Villa Park. I am joined by the man with the highest quiff in show business. It's Dave Reid. That is a, that's a high quiff today. Well, it's a, it's a bit ruffled today, you see, because I've, like I've just had headphones on all day. Do you know what oh, okay. Yeah, it's been. I also just had a haircut, so I didn't think it was that big. It was big, like even you. bigger, even like bigger a few high. days ago. It just looks high. I've got a lot of time for your hair, Dave Reid, but it, it, <laughs> it, it, it does look high. Away from away from hair news, how are you? Yes, I'm. I'm fine, thank you. I'm all good. How are you? Yeah, very good. Dean Avery says in the comments, "Mad quiff indeed." So I'm being I'm being backed up with 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 what I'm saying, and let's talk about the game. Then away from Dave Reid's hair, difficult game. On Sunday, West Ham, probably along with Villa, one of the three or four sides who I would say are having excellent seasons so far. I would also say that they've recovered from the loss of Declan Rice very, very well, replaced him with a couple of players, but actually in some ways look a a better team, which doesn't often happen when when teams lose a really big player. Villa struggled for a while when when Grealish went, struggled to come to terms with that when a football club was built around that player. And it felt like West Ham was very much built around Declan Rice. So I've a lot of time for what they're doing so far this season. David Moyes, there was talk of him being in a, a little bit of danger, perhaps West Ham a little bit in transition, but probably cemented himself with, with this start. It's been a really good start for the season. And with it being a team that Villa... I haven't had a great record against the Villa Park in recent years. It's, a, for all those reasons, a very hard game. Yeah, definitely. I, I listened to your uh, the 1874 this week with you and Greg, and you were talking, obviously, about Johan Langer, uh, which was great. Listen, if people haven't heard it yet, go back and, and listen to that. But you mentioned and you talked about the Grealish summer when, obviously, we lost Grealish, replaced him with three players, and you, you went through the kind of fours and against of those of those players. A similar kind of situation for West Ham in the summer with Declan Rice moving on. I, from my point of view, from and my personal opinion is it's harder to replace a, an attacking player like Grealish than it is for a player to be replaced like Declan Rice in West Ham because for Grealish, everything attacking-wise went went through him. Now, the onus for Declan Rice and West Ham, the onus wasn't on Declan Rice to go and create score goals and assists. He was the one that was driving their team from midfield. But I think it was slightly different for Villa in the case of Grealish, whereas there was so much reliance on him going forward in the scoring and the creating of goals that it left, in my opinion, a bigger gap than probably Declan Rice has left at at West Ham. But you're right, they've had a great start to the season. Given the summer they had, uh, we discussed it on the, on the on Sky, but... They had a, a difficult summer. They've got a new uh, sporting director, technical director, Tim Stighton, who came in. 
We heard there were disagreements of sorts between the type of players that West Ham were going to be targeting in the summer. I think um, that the technical director that they brought in wanted to target young players from the continent, players with a high sell-on value. We know all about that strategy as Villa supporters, whereas David Moyes was very much targeting uh, Premier League proven players, ones that he knew that he could rely on at the top level. Uh, One of those players that both of the guys agreed on at West Ham was James Ward-Prowse, and he's had a fantastic effect in that midfield as one of the kind of replacements, if you like, for Declan Rice. And then the other player they brought in in midfield was Edson Alvarez, who seemingly has, has slotted in straight away. And he's performed a couple of different kind of roles. At times, he's moved in between the centre-backs. Um, he's moved between full-back and centre-back at times, and then he's moved into midfield. He's obviously very tactically aware. So his role has been very interesting at times, particularly in the game, I thought, against Brighton. He did a couple of different things in that game. And then when you've got Socek, when you've got James Ward prowsers other legs around him, uh, it's a, it's looking like a very strong midfield, that and a very strong first eleven for West Ham. And they'll be hoping they can kick on this year again. Yeah, they've got some really nice footballers in, in that midfield. It's quite interesting, actually, that I always used to think Suchek and Rice was a really strong partnership in the middle of the park. I think they Suchek had a bit of an off-season last season, but before that, I always thought that they're the kind of midfield partnership, a bit like Louise and Kamara, actually, that give the defence stability in front of them, but also allow allow the attacking players to go, go and do their thing. I thought they, they had a nice balance there. Suchek's got a little bit back to his best. This season, been in the goals again a little bit more. He was always a, a very goal scoring number eight, I thought. Got in the box and the goals kind of dried up a little bit for him last season as well. <clears throat> Sorry. They got Pakatar as well, who's a great watch. You know, not only is he a, technically a very, very good footballer, he's also very, very industrious, gets around the pitch for Brazilian as well. He's not afraid to put himself about and get himself involved in the, in, in the tackles. That midfield battle will actually be quite fascinating and you've talked about Alvarez and the way he moves around as well. It'll be interesting to see how West Ham kind of play that tactically and for Villa we probably know what the midfield's going to be. I think this is a a, a real test of our midfield actually, probably as tough a test as we've had this season just in terms of the midfield battle. Yeah and and West Ham's midfield can kind of do a couple of different things as well when you have Socek and Ward-Prowse have kind of alternated and one's played a little bit higher and the other one a little bit deeper, depending on the opposition. And Pakatar's played from the left-hand side, but his instinct is always to drift inside. And so it means that West Ham can kind of almost sometimes play with a diamond in midfield, sometimes play with a double pivot. Sometimes Pakatar comes inside and they can make a box midfield with Socek and Ward-Prowse, Pakatar as well. So West Ham's midfield can kind of do a little bit of everything and depending on team selection and then when you've got a player like Kudus to come off the bench he's kind of made an impact yeah. more in the European football so far for West Ham but David Moyes has said today that he's he's pretty much ready to start a Premier League game I think the fact that West Ham have been playing so well has meant that he hasn't had to kind of rush Kudus into action in Premier League football he's he's been able to bed him in into the first team in in Europe in Europe so they've got some strong midfielders and a strong looking bench and and you know, we all know about Mikhail Antonio going forward. He is the kind of the battering ram, if you like. He will be the one that uh, tries to outmuscle Villa's centre backs, um, run the channels, working everybody at the back very, very hard, and then he'll be looking for support from midfield. Where does Kudus come in? Because I think he's probably better centrally as more of a, a number ten, probably not a traditional number ten, but I think that's his his favoured role to to be a little bit more central. 
where's he gonna where's he gonna come in and play? I mean, we haven't even talked about how good Bowen is. I reeled off West Ham's midfield and probably missed off their 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 best player, Bowen. You know, so effective in, in front of goal and so good at what he does. If Kudus does start, who who two drops out there? I can't work out where he would actually come in. There's there was talk when he signed that potentially he'd be the person who played as the the central striker. I, I see a world where that works for West Ham. Yeah, I think. I mean, correct me. People will correct me if I'm wrong in, in the comments, but I think in European football, Kudus has played from the right hand side, and they've they've managed to kind of rotate and rest Jared Bowen, Bowen play, at times. Let's talk of Bowen maybe playing up top as well. Actually, from mm. David Moyes, I think he did and, and he's done that before as well, hasn't he? Bowen's yeah. done that before. Um, so I, I guess the most natural position. The thing is, when he was at Ajax, Kudus could play everywhere. He played up front, out wide, and as a number ten as well. So he can do a little bit of everything. If you're looking to where he's going to be most effective for West Ham. Maybe home games when they might have a, see a little bit more of the ball. You might see him in a number 10 central position. But when they're away from home, and I expect them to to sit deep against Villa on Sunday and, and hit on transition, maybe you think out wide he's going to be the best place for him in order to get on the ball and see a little bit more of the ball and ha- not have to do so much of the kind of midfield work that would be expected of him if he was in that number 10 position. Where can we hurt them? Because you know, I'm talking talking about them, and I'm talking myself into the fact that they're a, a, a top top team here. Because I can't really see any weaknesses in their team. You know, the goalkeepers had a great start to the season. Ariola, I think Sue Fallasor earlier has got four four games, four assists in a, in a row. So he's on he's on fire at, at right back. Emerson's someone I really like at, at left back. Personally, I don't like Kurt Zuma, but he's a he's a he's a good footballer. I just don't like what he did off the pitch. You know, this is a it's a really hard game. They're a, they're actually a, a really really good outfit. West Ham. I, I can't think of an area where I'm thinking that's where we can hurt them. I'm, I'm struggling to think. I think we'll play on the front foot and be good like we normally are. But I'm I'm looking at it and thinking where where do Villa hurt West Ham? And I personally, I'm hoping you do because I don't. I don't really have an answer. Look, I think West Ham underachieved last season in the Premier League, didn't they? They tried to um, bring in players that would alter their style and play a little bit more possession-based football because that is what the top teams in the Premier League tended to do. It's been well documented how they kind of switched them. Because it wasn't going so well, they went back to the kind of counter-attacking football that had served them so well beforehand. It meant that there was an uplifting performance at the back end of last season and they've started and kind of doubled down on that counter-attacking football this year. I think they've got one of the lowest share of percentages of possession um, in the Premier League so far. And... You know, we all know about set pieces where they're strong and can hurt teams. I think they create a lot of good chances as well. They might not create a lot of chances, but the chances that they are creating are, are, are strong chances. And you're right, when you look at their first 11 on paper, they're, they're a very good side. They're a very good side. Now, the way Villa, I think, can hurt them is the way that they're able to... I think there's, it's going to be a game of patience because West Ham are going to be sitting in and look to play on the break. And Unai Emery said today they're probably one-off, if not the best team in transition in the Premier League at the moment. So I think it's going to be a game of patience for Villa, manipulating the ball, working different positions, getting in those areas where we can get cutbacks and, and crosses into the box that our midfield can then get in on the end of. And I think that comes into where our team selection might go and whether Zaniolo plays, whether he decides to kind of take him out the limelight a little bit this weekend. So I think, you know, it'll come down to a a patient game plan this weekend and being able to, you know, 
not not kind of try and rush things and try try not to to make the killer pass too early. I think it's about working the ball, being patient, getting it out wide, and getting those cutbacks for for midfielders and Ollie Watkins to get on the end of. Yeah, I think just thinking about where we actually we actually can hurt them. I think you're right. It's going to be a, a patient game. I think the last home game, Brighton, Villa kind of managed to flip what Brighton wanted. Brighton wanted to be the team that hurt Villa in in transition and. Villa managed to flip it and really hurt them. In transition, I don't think we'll be able to do that against West Ham because I don't think they'll be as open and come forward with as, as many numbers as, as as Brighton will. So I think that avenue is potentially closed. But if we can get Diaby and Watkins up against, up against their, their defence around the sides of the centre-backs, if the, if the full-backs have pushed up, Emerson's probably the full-back that pushes up a little bit more. Maybe that's the place where, where we hurt West Ham be, being clever with balls in between the centre-back and full-back. Yeah, yeah, it's a good shout. I think those when you look at the full, I know we were talking about you, you mentioned Kufal and how how kind of great form he's on, but I think if there was an area where you'd look at West Ham, you'd look at the fullbacks and say those are players that, particularly Emerson, isn't maybe the, the strongest defensively. So yeah. you'd like to think that you'd be able to get at him, and then you know, if, uh, despite the form that Kufal's in, if he if he decides to bomb on and bomb forward, you'd like to think that we'd be able to get him behind him. Yeah, Villa, Villa team selection still without Moreno, still without Ramsey. So we can probably pick the goalkeeper and the and the and, and the back four. Actually, I'm saying that maybe this is another one where Matty Cash pushes forward and plays in midfield. I was impressed with Diego Carlos last time out against Wolves, playing a physical team. Perhaps he's the he's a logical pick to play at the back as the most physical of Villa centre halves, and then you've got then you've got a little bit extra height against a team that will be good from set players as well, not only with Ward Prowse's delivery, but because they are a team of, of big boys, technical term. They're there from me. You know, they've got a lot they've got a, they've got a lot of tall players, haven't they? So perhaps, you know, maybe Cash moves forward into midfield and, and Zaniolo doesn't play. Yeah, I think that's a very sensible option. I think the one that would be seriously considered. You've gone through all the all the strengths of that there. Um, you know, because if I'm David Moyes, I'm telling Mikhail Antonio to sit on Pau Torres and to, to play those long passes into him and him try and chest it down and use his elbows and use his backside and use every kind of trick in the book to, to be able to get by him. I think it'll be a real uh, kind of tough afternoon for Pau Torres and see how he copes with that. Uh, but the, the sensible option or a sensible option would be to have Diego Carlos um, and... Torres as, as the centre-halves and, and push Conza into that right-back position and then play Matty Cash higher up. I think that's a, an option that Unai will definitely be considering. Yeah, Dean Avers is talking about perhaps a switch to, to 4-3-3 and put Tillemans in there, but I just don't see a world where that happens. I can't think of a game where Emery hasn't played. He's basically flat 4-4-2 and then obviously it turns into a turns into a box formation up top, but I can't think of a game where, we, where we've changed and I just don't think that's going to be something that, that we'll ever see a a midfield three. Tillemans is going to have to remain patient to try and break up that partnership because I, I can't see him getting in at the weekend. You know, we're here now, October the twentieth. Though Villa, Villa in fifth, really, really positive. You know, talk about Moreno Ramsey. I haven't even played really all season. We're still sat in fifth. We've lost Tyrone Mings. We've we've lost Emi Buendia. But yeah, I say October the twentieth, and we're we're sat here fifth. So as much as I'm saying West Ham are a really good team, you know, the equivalent of this channel from the West Ham end probably saying the same thing about us. Yeah, definitely. Those are four starting players that you've you've named there that aren't involved. And I think already the bench is looking stronger as well. The bench for the game against Wolves was kind of packed with options to bring on in that game. And I think 
that is one of the plus points from the summer that we had. We managed to sign not just kind of the, the, the right number of players, but the right quality of players as well that kind of have really raised the floor of the of the of the villa starting depth. So that's a real positive and as you say, October the twentieth being fifth in the table with a good run of fixtures to come as well, I don't think there's any reason to not be positive at the minute. No, we have got good fixtures. This is this is a tough one though. This is a tough one. I mentioned at the start, Villa's record against West Ham has been absolutely terrible at home in particular in recent years. I could be completely wrong here, but off the top of my head in my memory, the last time I remember Villa beating West Ham at home was when Tim Sherwood was manager and Tom Cleverley scored. I can't remember a win yeah. against West Ham since then. You know, Jesse Lingard turned into Messi the COVID year and scored a, scored a couple of goals against us. Really terrible game last season. They beat us 1-0. I've not gone chronologically here at all. Dean Smith's Villa got pumped 4-1, which was a really, really horrible Sunday at at Villa Park in the the rain and the cold. I I remember that. So we haven't got a good record against West Ham either. Put that with the fact that they're a really good team. I'm not going to ask you for a prediction because we've stopped doing predictions. And since we've done that, Villa have not lost. So keep keep going with, with that. But if you were to put one Aston Villa player and one West Ham player in your fantasy football team this weekend, who would it be? I know you're a, a fantasy football. You love it as much as I do. <laughs> well, I mean, you say that. I've, I've kind of... Once you miss one week, you can't miss any weeks. Missing weeks is unacceptable, in my opinion. I've I've missed weeks. Let me tell you that secret. I've missed weeks. Um, (laughs) I mean, the the obvious one is from from a Villa point of view is Ollie Watkins. Is you know new contracts, England caller, goals are flowing. I think he's absolutely full of confidence, and he'll be looking to build on that. I think. I mean, I don't think I don't think you can view it as a kind of straight fight for an England selection between Jared Bowen and Ollie Watkins, but I think they'll be looking at each other, thinking it's probably going to be close between us getting on the plane for Germany next year for England. So it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure the comparison will be made about performances in England call-ups and England future between Bowen and Watkins, and those would be the two players that you'd be looking at if you if you were looking in those fantasy teams. Because every time I watch Jared Bowen, I'm impressed with him. He can do oh, a little bit of everything inside, outside, header, movement. He, you know, he can hold the ball. Um, I think he's absolutely fantastic. And you know, I think we have to give praise as well to to Ollie Watkins. I know we, we kind of praise him quite a lot on 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 this podcast and on this channel, but I think he deserves it given that the last few weeks that he's had new contracts he's been fantastic for Villa over the last couple of years and um, long may it continue yeah two players who came from the championship as, as well there's value to be had in the championship I, all, I always think this it feels like teams don't do it as much now but there's still value definitely to, to be had in the championship they're both in my fantasy football team I actually got three Villa players in my fantasy football team at the moment and the week we beat Brighton it was an absolute worldy week for me because I had Cash DRB and Watkins so yeah, that was a that was a good one. Not often I have three Villa players in my fantasy football team, but I, but I have at the moment. I think if Cash plays in midfield, I think he's the value in the fantasy football market this week, in my opinion, in terms of Aston Villa and West Ham players. Dean Avery's saying peak Villa would be Ings coming on and spanking one in and we lose by one goal, but <laughs> Danny Ings has done exactly what I said he'd do. He's just swapped one bench for the other. It was never a move that, that made sense. He's done nothing, really. He's had one game where he scored a couple of goals, didn't he? Which was a, a big win for them last season. But by and large, he's done absolutely nothing 
Look, I think I think Danny Danny Ings was a signing to keep West Ham up, wasn't it? Essentially, yeah. they needed. He wasn't they the needed reason someone. they tied up, though, was it? No, no, he wasn't. But they were. They thought we needed a forward in. We needed a striker. We need someone who scored goals in the Premier League. A reasonable price, a reasonable fee for us to recoup, and I think it, it was one of those that made sense for West Ham because he obviously wasn't going to play. He did play the back end of last season for for West Ham, and he did stop, score a couple of important goals, um, but. You know, I don't think he's going to be, well, ever really going to be a starting player for West Ham. So, if he's happy with the with the squad rotation and he might get minutes in Europe, and then that's kind of where he's at at the moment. I think he'll be at somewhere like Luton, Bournemouth, or Burnley in January. That's my that's my prediction. A couple of them are his, his former teams as well. If he fancies a fancies a journey back there, shout out to Craig Jones, currently in China for work, still managed to watch the preview. It's unreal commitment, and that's what we like to see, Craig. So, so thank you very much. What time? What time is it there? That's unbelievable. You were asking me like I'm going to know the answer. <laughs> Absolutely no clue on the time difference, John. I'm imagining it's quite a, a heavy time difference, though. I, I can, would say so. Yeah, I can imagine there's, there's there's quite a lot in it. So yeah, well done, Craig. Thank you very much for watching, and thank you to everyone else who's watched and left comments in the live chat as well. That's it from Dave and myself. The channel will be back sometime after the West Ham game to dissect what happened and hopefully talk about three points for Villa. I think me and Greg are booked in for Monday, actually, to to do a show. So Greg and myself will be doing a pod definitely on Monday. We'll probably cover the game in that, I would say, rather than doing a, a designated show because... Sunday night late by the time we get back, unless it's uh, an absolute storm or something amazing happens. We'll probably wait till till Monday. James D in the comments says, hit the thumbs up, Villa fans. He's absolutely right. Do hit the thumbs up and do leave a comment and do subscribe to the channel with your post notifications on as well. Let's set a target of previews. I always feel is going to be harder for the likes. So I'll set a target of, let's just go 500. 500 likes. If we hit 500 likes, then Aston Villa will win on Sunday against West Ham. So make sure if you've watched, you've pressed the like button. Craig Jones has informed us it's half midnight. Stayed up especially to watch us, I can imagine. So thank you very much again, Craig Jones. Have a great weekend. Enjoy Villa Park if you are going. I will see some of you there. Come and say hello if you do see me. And as always, up the villa. Podcast Network.